Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four of On the Run. Today, we have a very special guest. He is a former United States Marine Corps infantryman. Afterwards, he became a fitness instructor for a number of years and is constantly doing hard things and working toward a goal. And you really can't help but feel somewhat inspired and and feel the call to action to do something after you hang out with them, whether it's go work out or build something or try something that you've never done before, something that's hard and will end up being rewarding. So stay tuned to learn how you can make your own cold plunge for a fraction of the cost that other companies are selling them for, the story behind why he ran a marathon last year, what book got him back into rucking since leaving the military, how he got a friend to run their first half marathon next year, and what unfolded while we were hunting for deer. Now I'll let him tell the rest, but everyone, please welcome Ellis Rushford. Today we're joined by a former Marine, a former fitness professional, a hunter, a rucker, and a DIY enthusiast. One of the best ones I've seen, honestly. Ellis Rushford. What's going on, man? Hey, man. I do my best. So I've never, I have been with people and helped spotted on deer hunting before, but today was the first time I saw a deer killed in front of me. Glad we could get it done. You got two. Yeah, that's rare. It's your first date. No, you said you've gotten two once before, right? Not on the same day. Oh, not on the same day. No, no, certainly not within the same hour or half an hour. And you've been seeing some recently, but they haven't been close enough to shoot. Uh, I see. I see. There, there's a lot of doe in that like strip of land in that cut of woods. So I see them frequently. Um, but yeah, as we discussed, I'm trying to trying to wait for the uh, the big target bucks to to show their face. Honestly, a crazy morning, though. Like, whenever we showed up before, probably 20 minutes before light, we had enough time to get situated and get in the stand, climb over to my part, sit, look around. And we heard within, with under five minutes, we heard two deer around us. You heard them. I was looking out for them afterwards. But too dark to shoot, couldn't shoot them. And then we weren't in the stands for, I don't even think it was an hour, honestly. No, it was less, it was, it was less than an hour for sure. I think the sun rose at like 645 and I think yeah. by 715 we were harvested two bucks or two does. Yeah. We were, we were dragging deer, two deer through the woods by, I think it was eight o'clock maybe. Yeah. Fortunate to make some uh, good, clean, ethical shots on them both. Yeah, one heart shot and one jugular shot. Would you say? Yeah, I think it hit lungs and jugular. Um, I don't think I've ever hit or thought of hitting a jugular on a deer, but damn, yeah, done. They all, yeah, both fell uh, within sight of you. When we when we left this morning, I thought we were going to a different neighborhood. It's I'm not, I'm not people don't know where you live. I'm not giving it up, but it's in your neighborhood. Like you found a gem. Yep, city limits are uh, basically at the edge of our neighborhood, and then there's a small piece of uh, land wooded area nestled between a pond and the highway that deer kind of funnel through that's so nice and you're so close to the water too so it's not like they can if they're close enough like you'll know where they're going you set out corn about 20 yards away you say yep it's about a 20 yard 
20 yard poke out to the uh, corn pile. And you got one one trail cam out there? One trail cam. What is the, whenever I climbed up, got in my seat, and then you went to the trail cam, and you have this, I've never seen it. You have some kind of attachment that you put the, the card in and you can see it on your phone in real time. What is that? Yep. I've always called it a dongle. I don't know if that's a technical term <laughs> for it, but you know, the, uh, like the adapter that goes from the, the new USB-C yeah. or not the, maybe no, not a USB-C, whatever the iPhone uses now, mm-hmm. um, to the old like headphones, for example, mm-hmm. kind of like a dongle. Well, it's, it's the same thing. It plugs into the bottom of your phone where your charging port is. And then it has just a, uh, SD card reader. So you just plug that in. Uh, and then you go to your files on your phone, and you can read the card. And you've seen this one buck. Well, we've seen a few, but you've seen this one big buck the last two or three days, right? Yeah, really nice eight-pointer has showed up. Uh, I've only ever seen doe in here. There's a there's some small, very young bucks. Um, but none have really shown their face that were large, like, shooters, target bucks um, recently. Or, or until recently, sorry. Um, so... It was good to see that. And you caught two bucks fighting on yeah. your trail cam. That was, that was super cool. I've never that had, was I've legit. Never that. that was cool. Uh, yeah, that, that big eight-pointer uh, and then a smaller, younger six-pointer that maybe is a little below shooting age. And then um, today, last night, I guess, at midnight, we, uh, we were checking pictures this morning and saw an additional, I'm going to call him barely, I think, because he's just barely, barely. an eight-pointer. <laughs> he's got a couple stickers uh, and some weird locations on his on his main beams so uh, so you saw two bucks fighting now the dynamic of it like if one wins whatever the fight is what however they fight does the other buck not come back because he knows it's the other buck's territory or is will will that draw in more bucks just because i don't know maybe they know more doe in that area because there was another buck or did you were you afraid that once they saw each other it was going to scare one away um, so if it's going to scare one of them away and, and cause him to not return to the area, it would be the smaller one. So that, that would be fine, honestly. Um, but he, he probably won't go far. He just will avoid that, that deer. And from the pictures, I wish I had it on video mode. I have it on video mode now, although we forgot to put the card back in yeah, when we left damn. this morning. Yeah. Oops. Uh, that's okay. Uh, it's more for kind of taking inventory at this point. But, um, yeah, so it didn't it didn't look from the pictures like it was – like a, a full tilt fight that looks like look a little bit more like they were just sparring sizing each other up because they're very different sized deer so um i would assume the smaller six pointer uh lost handily um yeah. so he's probably you know he could he could be bumped to a different different property or or maybe he's just nearby still it's hard to hard to know for sure um but no typically they would be you know if you if you're getting your butt handed to you uh, to to any large degree, then the big one would stick around, and, and that small one would kind of leave the area. Uh, mostly because, like after the fight, I mean, especially during the rut when they're competing for does, yeah. um, breeding season, they're gonna he's gonna run the deer like you know a long ways. He's not just gonna fight and then stop and hang out. He'll chase the deer off, especially okay. if there's does nearby. So. And you said bucks usually follow does when like so after you kill the first one, and then ten minutes later, the other doe that was with the first doe you shot came back 15 minutes later shot it but before you shot it it was staring off into the distance and we were quiet for probably it's it just stood there for probably three four minutes did you think a buck was coming 
Yeah, I wasn't sure. It. That's that was what I suspected. Um, a lot of times you'll see during the rut, at least you know, any time of year this could be the case, but especially during the rut when you know bucks are looking for does, cruising through areas. When they find does, they're just gonna they're just gonna trail them um, and wait for them to come into to heat or estrus as it's called with with deer. But the yeah, so the deer, as you said, it was looking kind of off to our 12 o'clock, ears perked up, tail up, um, you know, wasn't looking at us. Um, so I, I, you know, in hindsight, it was probably just looking for what the sound that it had heard, i.e. the bow going off. Mm-hmm. That was uh, a wild sound, by the way. It, it hit in the ribs. Yeah, it, it's a loud impact. Um, you can definitely tell if you hit the deer or not, for sure. Yeah. Um, especially when it hits a bone or a, yeah. a leg like it did today. Uh, but yeah, so we, I, I wanted to sit tight for, for a bit, um, uh, before we inevitably shot it, um, to see if it was, you know, looking at another deer that we just couldn't, couldn't get eyes on yet. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you'll see, you know, doe come into an area, um, and they'll turn around and just like look backwards. It's a good mm-hmm. indication that there's probably a deer back there that they're kind of looking at, seeing if it's following them. And that was kind of the area it was looking, that was kind of the area that it seemed like the other two does came from. So I don't know. That was, but yeah. So we sit in a we sit on kind of a side hill yeah. that funnels down into a main kind of draw um, that kind of leads down to the pond, um, and that funnel is kind of how they travel up to us, like where our where we were sat. So um, that's that's usually where they come from, and that's exactly where that deer was looking. So, dude, back to the sound. I well, you have a seventy pound seventy pound draw. Is that what you said? Yes. Um, have, has it always, uh, how long have you had 70? Could you go back to 80 or, or are you just comfortable at 70 and is, is it power? It's just powerful enough. So it's not necessarily the, the draw length, although the draw length does play a part in how much poundage the pull of the bow is going to be. Okay. Um, but you, you would, you would just adjust the bow so that it's harder to pull it back. You wouldn't necessarily pull it back further. Um, now that's where the compound bow, where it's a specific draw length is kind of designed into the bow and adjusted mm. on the bow but um i think i think 70 is the max for the hoyt bow that i have so i i would need to get a different model so when they cut because they got customized part of your bow too is that what you said so that's whenever they customize it that's how they determine the the draw length yep so you can adjust i think uh i don't know this the specs of this bow but it, usually most higher end bows or most bows for example for or, or for instance are adjustable to a pretty good degree i imagine it's like maybe six eight maybe even like a foot um difference between the shortest you could adjust it to and the longest Mm -hmm. i think that's that's a big difference it's a lot yeah um and i might be lying i really have no idea uh, to be honest (laughs) if it's a big difference no i i'm saying uh, i don't know if it's if it actually adjusts oh oh, 10 inches or 12 i think it might be like six inches the shortest to the longest that you could make it but yeah it's adjustable like you could go right now and and just change some screws around you would need a, a bow press to decompress the Oh. the uh like the arms hmm. um just so that the string is not taut so you can adjust it okay i guess my the better question i should have asked was how do you determine what your poundage should be uh really whatever you can pull back comfortably many times and not get tired or, and be or quiet doing and it and be quiet yeah, yeah right yeah that makes sense 70 is is uh plenty i mean i i i, I can manage 70 pounds pulling 70 pounds so um, you know, the heaviest you can, you can do comfortably is what you should do. Is there a, like a legal minimum limit 
that you need to draw in order to shoot a to shoot a bow? Because I, I, I can, yeah, I can imagine it can't be like too light, or else it just wound it, not kill it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and you, you don't want that. You want to be able to make an ethical shot, and not just injure the animal. But yeah. um, I don't know. There probably is a law. Um, I know that mine is well above the limit, so I, I haven't looked into that. But um, I would assume there is. There's at least guidance. I think it's a minimum of like 40 or 50 pounds is what you have mm. to be able to pull. So um, like Celine was asking me earlier, I, um, if, I, if I've if i hunted since I was little, like I, I grew up hunting with my dad, my mom, but uh, I didn't bow hunt until um, last year actually in Raleigh. Oh, so in, in Vermont growing up, you only... Just gun. Rifle, shotgun? Just rifle. Just rifle? Yep. What's the... Di- what do you like? All right, what do you like better? Do you like do you like bow or do you like you like rifle? Uh, for deer, I I definitely like bow. It's it's a lot more you know you're like up close and in it very intimately, yeah. uh, close to to the deer. So it's a lot harder. I would say you have to get them within you know thirty yards, forty if you want to risk a longer shot, twenty ideally. But um, rifle's cool. There's obviously applications of both, especially depending on the animal. Uh, you're you hit a deer with a rifle, it's it's a lot more likely to yeah. die than on impact. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know, it it kind of it's like a bomb going off in the the woods, yeah. quite literally. So you kind of. And you said it scares deer off once after that first one. Like, there's probably no way that you could have killed two today if we shot a rifle. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I really, I, I wouldn't feel. I don't. I don't think I could legally fire a rifle in this property just because uh-huh. it's. Um, uh, probably the cops would probably get called by someone in the neighborhood. I um, think so. Yeah. And yeah, so I like I like rifle. What's what's more rewarding, rifle or or bow? And I guess there's a lot to that because you said hunting in Vermont is so different because there's less deer. Because there's less, there. I mean, I don't know if it's because there's less, but they're they're bigger. You said the first time you killed one here in North Carolina, you were shocked at how small they were. So is, I guess is it is one preferable to the other, hunting in a rifle in Vermont or bow hunting here, or just kind of two different. You could do Two both, sports. honestly. You could you could rifle or bow hunt here, depending okay. on where. Um, and same in Vermont. Many people bow hunt up there. Um, and I'm sure there are deer around here that, you know, rival the Vermont size yeah. um, deer. Probably not as many, though, right? Right. Really, Vermont deer aren't that big either compared to, you know, like Midwest whitetails or right. even like New Hampshire and Maine whitetails. They get big, um, but the population's low, so that, that kind of hinders... Um, hinders how big they're going to get they're just not living as long and there's a north carolina season limit did you say it's four does two bucks four does two bucks um you can buy a, a bonus antlered tag so you can get a third buck if, okay. you, if you choose to pay for it okay what's the is there a limit in vermont vermont is i'm not i haven't looked into it in a while i haven't hunted there but um, when i was growing up you could have it was it was one deer one one tag one just one deer one, not one, one doe one buck just one deer no, one deer you could I think you could uh, you could apply and purchase a, a a doe tag as well but I think it was just one one buck really you might have uh, there's multiple seasons obviously for different different weapons or a youth season um, so there might have been some nuance to that that I just didn't didn't know or wasn't aware of when I was a kid but um, yeah much much less uh, much less harvest. Rifle? Are, were you on the ground on the rifle, or were you in a, or were you in a stand? Uh, I both. Typically uh, on the ground, just because we didn't really have anywhere that was like a. We didn't hunt a field that you could. Yeah. Like 
like over a cornfield or something where you could get in a stand. Um, and unlike Bo, you don't need to get within 20 yards, so you could just be on the ground and, you know, you're not drawing a bow back, so there's not a lot of movement. Those are two completely different ways of hunting. Very different. Do I, I imagine that some hunters really enjoy one way and maybe some don't enjoy one of those options at all? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a healthy rivalry between yeah. the two, I think. A lot of people probably are indifferent. Uh, or don't care hunter's a hunter yeah exactly there's there's definitely I, I would say it's more more on the side of bow hunters disliking firearm hunters um really yeah just because why is that uh bow, bow hunting's harder so they just they just think they're taking the easy way and it's really loud i, I don't know i'm not one of those people i don't mind <laughs> you can hunt with whatever weapon you choose so um i'm not really sure but that's that would be the my guess, probably just because it's more difficult, uh, or they perceive it as more difficult. So you started hunting in Vermont with your dad. Do you remember what age you started at? So you have to take a hunter's safety course um, before you can buy a license. Okay. Um, I want to say I did that when I was maybe, maybe nine or ten. I really am not sure. It's probably on uh, my bright orange hunter safety card uh in the garage if we if we really wanted to see but i was i was pretty young um a couple of my friends hunted and they told me that i should go do this hunter safety course and my dad had hunted you know well before i started um so i asked him hey can i go do this and he was psyched he's like yeah absolutely sure thing wow that's really cool um you know it's funny because like today i was so excited to hunt but growing up like the two two things I did yesterday and today, run and hunt, never thought I'd be a runner, one, and then never <laughs> thought I'd be a hunter or enjoy hunting. I didn't grow up around it, really. I grew up in Illinois where there were smaller population, but a lot of hunters just because there's so many deer and you can kill as many does as you want. So there were a lot of people, that, but my family was never into it. I guess it's one of those things where I, thinking about it, I would have loved to do it when I was younger, just... Because seeing you clean or field dress the deer out there and then process it today, I don't know. I never got my hands like dirty with an animal when I was a kid. I don't know. I feel like that was something that, not I was missing, but would have been cool to be, you know, introduced to early on and to have that skill. Like, I don't know. But you taught yourself how to process it, right? Yep. So I, I learned young. My dad showed me how to field dress the deer. Um, but not until this year, actually, did I choose to process it, butcher it myself, um, which there, you know, YouTube is a, it's a great thing nowadays. Who'd you, who'd you watch on YouTube? I think it was the, the Bearded Butcher. They have, they have a pretty good series um, on breaking down a deer as, as far as you need. There's, there's endless videos. That, that was the one that I watched the they most. They go I through think. the entire process? Oh, yeah, from a field-dressed deer or even just a deer, full deer, intact deer, all the way down to uh, packaged cuts of muscle. Wow. But, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's not something that most kids or, or even most adults are exposed to, so I'm glad you could uh, get a little taste of it. Yeah, dude. I, I appreciated it. It was uh, the stand you had for me, too. Honestly, could have taken a nap up there. I saw you had your eyes closed at one point. I was like, ah, oh, yes, it is comfortable. Okay. I did. Well, like, I, I, 
I like to meditate sometimes, and sometimes the meditation is uh, not focused on breathing. It's focused on listening. And you, I don't know, you were a hawk with the ears. You are just listening, and you could hear the deer everywhere. So I was like, okay, I'm going to close my eyes, listen, and see if I can be of help somewhat. So I closed my eyes, listened, and I was like, eh, he's probably going to figure it out before I do. So I opened and looked around, but um, no, I really did enjoy it. And I had a good feeling going into today, too. I thought after you killed the first one i was like oh i was like you know because you were talking about how great their hearing is so i was like oh they probably heard it you know they probably heard the deer jumping but you said that the does aren't you know they're not as you know self-aware or conscious as the bucks so that second one came right back didn't expect to get two today yeah that so, i had i've ne- so I've never shot i've never shot two you know in one sit there there have definitely been instances where i've i've shot a deer and it'll come back i've, I've missed a deer before mm. and the deer didn't move you said they duck right they do duck yeah they it's called jumping the string so i mean it, think about it you know you shoot a rifle 20 yards away it it's gonna impact the deer before the noise right. is heard by the deer so yeah. but i mean a bow you hear the bow go off and then half a second later it, it actually hits the deer so they have time i mean as, as quick as gravity lets them to to drop and they're not necessarily, you know, they don't know that they, that noise was a bow and, right. and they need to duck. But, um, you know, if you've ever seen a dog take off or any animal take off, they, you know, drop down low so they can, you know, load the spring, so to yep. speak, and then take off. So they do that and, um, you know, they'll, they'll drop like 12 inches. It's impressive, like almost chest on the ground. So yeah, I've missed a deer. I actually have that on, on video. I'll have to show that to you later. No way. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, they, 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 they come back sometimes it's very odd if they if they don't see you or smell you or you know they don't realize that it's a human that made that noise it's just a you know it could be a, a tree falling for all they know right. so they'll come back to investigate it that that said you did mention that what i what i had said about does does are definitely a little less cautious than you mm. know like a mature buck you, you let an arrow fly and you miss a mature buck he's probably not going to come back to that area for a little while yeah yeah and i'm sure i mean you've been looking at this buck for a few days and I I feel like especially the other I was thinking the other way you hunted you know in Vermont I feel like you have to be so selective in when you shoot because you get one buck and you're or one deer and you're done 100 percent yeah a lot of times I mean you you the one buck you see in Vermont in a season if you see one at all might be the only one you you, if see, you see so do people go entire seasons and not see one? Oh yeah I did. I never, Whoa. I hadn't shot a buck until uh, this year in Maryland, actually. And I even know. then it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a large mature buck. So yeah. um, I'm still yet to, to get on the board in a I know. Large... Killed your fir- I was going to mention that. Killed your first buck. How many, uh, not, I'm not going to say how many points was it. What was the count on the antlers? Is that the correct way to ask? Yeah. Points is, is the right. Okay. How many points? Say, what, like, did how many points was it? Yeah. It was a four pointer. So pretty small. Okay. Um, we had been hunting all weekend. Um, hadn't really seen anything. We had some targets at a different stand that my, my friend was sitting at. So um, this one showed up kind of last light, last day we were hunting and um, pretty expensive permit for out-of-state hunting in Maryland. So figured I'd get it done, give yeah. myself some exercise, harvest some meat. So you talked about killing a buck when it's mature, killing mature animals and the ethics behind it. What's you speak a little more on that? Yeah, sure. So um, I think... Part of it is just good, 
deer herd management. You want mature animals in, in the area to, to hunt. You don't want to only have just small deer. So the way to do that is to not shoot small bucks so they have a chance to grow up and uh, grow big. You know, Also to uh, have a chance to spread their genes, continue the population, do their duty. Um, just allows that to happen. And I've heard that it makes sense. And I've heard you and a few other hunters briefly mention like how dangerous it can be for a population if it gets too large. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, as you saw when we drove to uh, REI yesterday, I mean, the the 10-mile stretch between here and there, there were two deer on the road. It's just a very overpopulated area, which is why you can harvest, you know, four does and two or potentially three bucks uh, in a given year. Uh, Maryland is way more. You can kill like 15 uh, doe in in a year. It's uh, it's a lot. the The populations are just booming down here, and and we're ten miles from a metropolitan area. So. Right. Does do states change the limits on does and bucks based off of the population? Like, or, you know, 100%. Is there, can they do that? Do they do that year by year? It's, is it, it year by year thing? It doesn't change all that often, just because it takes a long time for you know populations to rebound or or you know change. Um, how do they determine that game wardens just know you know in a certain area how many there are and do you know how that works that's a good question um i know that they do kind of population i guess tests for lack of a better word um kind of sample just sample right. an area whether that's you know thermal I- imaging from a airplane or a helicopter or um the amount of deer taken and, and kind of the statistics behind that you know if and i'm i'm just speculating here right. but like if there's a hundred deer for example taken in and there's well more than that taken in a year but a hundred deer taken in wake county you know it, you could assume or estimate that there are a thousand deer uh, in the population in that county something like that so so it, it's state by state though there's not a limit county by county uh or de- is there? it depends on the county there are okay. different uh regions within states north carolina is the same i think the bag limit I, or how many deer you can take in a year is, is the same throughout the state but i'm, I'm not sure uh, in maryland there are, there are differences between different regions hunting takes a lot of patience 100 percent. i i was i was happy that we got it done so quickly yeah part week. of me kind of wanted to sit there for a while though. right part of me lie. part of me was ready to like have you have you in the tree for three hours yeah, like yeah. shivering and then finally a deer comes out but yeah no i was uh i'm glad your first experience was a good one you know that's what you want for new people into the into hunting so yeah they, you know they get into it and they had a enjoyable experience not you know frostbite for three hours and not that you were gonna get frostbite in 45 degree weather yeah. but yeah. you know shivering in a tree just waiting on a on an animal to never show up. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the general person thinking about hunting, you know, you wouldn't think that patience would be a lesson that you get out of it, but it's something you learn looks like pretty quickly when you're hunting. And I will say, you know, as a former Marine, I mean, you were a personal trainer, a fitness professional as well. Pretty intense guy, but honestly, I thought you're going to be very intense and you are when you're doing things, but you are one of the most calm people I've ever met. What do you contribute that to? That's a good question. I've always been kind of just quiet and composed, I guess. Although I do have my moments. Um, I played hockey growing up um, and club hockey in college. And I think the people that played played those sports with me probably would <laughs> disagree and be confused <laughs> at that statement. They see your competitive side. Uh, yeah, certainly have a, a fire inside that, that comes out when needed. But uh, no, uh, I think I've always been a little bit of just a 
calm, composed individual, kind of quiet, wait, wait and uh, wait and see type guy. You always, you've always been that way. For the most part, I think uh, certainly my time in the Marine Corps definitely. That's what I was going to bring kind up. Kind of continued that yeah. a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, you just kind of get used to staying in your lane and, and kind of being patient in stressful situations. After you go through, uh, you know, stressful situations, normal situations that maybe would have been stressful to you before uh, serving, just are not anymore. Right. Well, that's it's kind of where I was getting to. Is there are some high-level athletes. You look at football players. You look at some MMA guys. And I've heard on different podcasts. And when you meet some of those people in person, like they go through such intensity in their workouts and the stress they put themselves under and games and pressure that everything else after it's there it's it's like a different person in a way like they've gone through so much chaos that i don't know nothing really ever phases them afterwards so i was you know being in the military obviously the most intense you can get fighting for your country and also yesterday was veterans day thank you very much for serving i don't Appreciate think you. i don't think today you know nowadays not enough people say that we have a holiday for it but it's a shame that not a lot of people go out and say it anymore i think and you know there's that but i don't know i just i know that being as calm as you are there had to be times when it was you've been put through extremely stressful situations and it's kind of probably made you as calm as you are now yeah i would say you're that's 100 percent true um i think the the job of the people training you um and instructing you in the military yeah. Uh, their job is to put you through those stressful, stressful, excuse me, situations, uh, so that when you're, you know, in a firefight or uh, getting ambushed or something, you know, any any stressor that's never been faced before, something like that, like you you do your best to prepare your, you know, your mind and mental state for those situations, so mm -hmm. you don't just cower in a ball and and melt, and then you're useless to, you know, yourself and to all the people around you. Did that attract you to the Marines? Why did you choose Marines over other branches? It's a good question. I contemplate that sometimes because, you know, any job interview is, yeah. you know, why did you do that? Or, and, and also just, you know, people's curiosity. Um, so when I was, a, I think, a junior in high school, I started taking a interest in it and seeing all the motivational videos, most of which are a little far-fetched and Hollywood-esque uh, in hindsight. But, you know, that that's they're good at recruiting people with, with their media by design. Um, so, yeah, just, uh, just kind of the, I would say, I wouldn't say, you know, that I, that I wanted to be stressed out, but just the challenge of it, uh, the brotherhood of it. And, and I definitely like to challenge. Um, I think that, you know, being a three, three sport athlete through high school and most of my life, you know, you're always kind of striving to be the best and, right. you know, challenge yourself and push yourself and improve. So, um, that, that mindset, it sounds like that's what initially drove you there. And when did you first show interest in the military? I think my mindset, yeah, I've always liked doing things, you know, with my hands and just being physically active, yeah. uh, challenging myself and, and just using my fitness, you know, for more than just sports and this, the, the simple fact of being fit, you know. So um, I don't know when it really clicked that I wanted to do it. Um, I, I would say that, um, and there's a bit of a, I'll, we can explain in a moment, but um, the first time I talked to a recruiter, I was still in high school. Uh, I think it was my junior year, maybe maybe the summer between my junior and, junior and senior year, um, kind of around the time, like, you know, you need to start applying to colleges and whatnot. Right. Um, and so I talked to a recruiter then, um, and I think got a little bit more hooked, you know, speaking to someone who's, who's in the military. Um, 
family wasn't super about it, you know, for certainly for fair reasons. That you know, was, was going to be my next question. Don't want your child yeah. to go overseas. Obviously, yeah. the, the, the previous decade, so this is in 2010, 2009, 2010. Right. Uh, you know, the, the previous decade was just, you know, constant news reels of, you know, service members dying and getting injured um, in Iraq, Afghanistan. Uh, so, you know, to be fair to them, obviously, I don't think I would think I would I would maybe push back a little bit or, or just challenge a, a child that wants to go in the military myself as well, just for, for you know, the reason of just, you know, protecting them and, and looking out for them and making sure they're doing it for the right reasons, which right. Um, maybe that's that would be a little hypocritical of me considering that I made the decision myself as well. So, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I talked to a recruiter. Uh, my parents really wanted me to, you know, just explore, make sure that I really wanted to do it. It wasn't just a spur of the moment. Uh, decision, as Emily uh, alluded to yesterday and, and maybe today, um, I just get passionate about things and, mm-hmm. and jump in it full fledged and go, right. you know, all out in that in that subject or, or activity. And yeah. then, you know, sometimes I continue that activity or, or passion, and then other times I jump to another passion. So I think they know that obviously as my parents, so they wanted to know that I wasn't just doing that and going to regret, you know, not going to college first and, and taking that route. So they they they. They wanted me to do that. They weren't going, you know, they weren't like forbidding me to join or right. anything. So they, they were, were just actually pushing. pushing you away. They just made you think through it, which, just, is, which exactly. is a really healthy way to do it. You know, sure. that's a good way to make decisions. So. Especially as, you know, a 17, 18 year old that yeah. isn't fully, fully developed in the brain, <laughs> the brain game yet. So, uh, you know, hey, make sure you're, you're doing this uh, and you really want to because you know, the next four years you're going to be locked in. You don't really have a choice to, to jump out of it. Did you go through a process when you were, also looking at colleges immediately after high school too or, and kind of going back and forth on what I want to do or, or I did I did a little bit yep so I toured a few I toured a few colleges um, I ended up I did a semester at UMass Amherst I think because there was in the back of my brain I, I knew that I wanted to go in the Marine Corps mm-hmm. you know I went went there gave it a try you know got pumped pretty 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 excited about it to go there you know meet new people toward the campus so got excited about it but I think you know getting there and Obviously, college is very different than high school. You know, you got to be your own own person. You got to you got to self regulate, study all that stuff. Nobody's there in your in your ear, you right. know, reminding you to do all that. So, I think with the fact that I wanted to join uh, and serve, there was no there was no chance that I was going to like fully apply myself and, right. and succeed four years. So, right. did a semester. Knew it wasn't going to work out, and what I, where I really wanted to be was in the Marine Corps. So. Um, you know, let my parents know, and then contacted the recruiter back home, who was a, a new recruiter who I liked a lot more. Um, I think this was maybe his easiest, uh, easiest recruit ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I called him, and you know, asked asked to meet up and, and chat. And he's like, "Yeah, sure." So, you know, we meet up somewhere, I don't know, like a pizza place or something in my hometown, and yeah. he starts going through the spiel with all the like, you know, by the book conversation and you were like yo like, you don't have listen to man me. like you don't you don't need to like do all this i'm ready to join so like let's do some paperwork and send me off to boot camp nice and he's like oh well, okay cool, cool. <laughs> um so yeah uh did the asvab scored really well i think got like an 86 which for those that don't know the asvab is oh i feel bad i can't uh recite the acronym right now but it's all right but basically uh just like the like the readiness and aptitude test. Um, what is that? What is that scored? What is that scored to? What's the scoring on that? I, th- I think ninety nine is the highest. Okay, um, that's the highest I know of anybody ever getting. I, I I'm not sure that it goes above that. It might multiple I'm choice. Not sure. 
Uh, it's some of it is multiple choice. Some of it is uh, kind of like logical reasoning or, or puzzles. Okay. Uh, some math, some like electrical stuff. So it, it runs the gamut. So like getting a ninety nine is incredible. Like you just, you had to study specifically for this test. There's like electrical diagrams that you need to like talk to and answer questions about. And if you've never looked at a circuit diagram, then you have no yeah. idea what you're looking at. So hence that was me. But I did I did pretty good. I was I was a, like smart kid as as like a high schooler and growing up. So did well on that. And that kind of unlocks uh, which jobs you qualify for. And can, I was going to, yeah, I was going to, is there an advantage to it? Like when you go into the Marines, are there certain jobs that are open to you yep, after so, that? So ASVAB is, is, is uh, applicable to all branches. Everyone takes okay. the ASVAB. Okay. Um, it, it, it quite literally dictates what jobs you qualify for. Hmm. Um, there might be, you know, you could probably get a waiver if you're like, don't quite make the cut for a specific score because within, within the ASVAB, kind of test there's different components of it like general reasoning i don't know writing math mm-hmm. what i'm not sure there's several so um technical whatever so depending on how you do in each of those and overall it unlocks certain positions for you so i mean 80 86 is plenty high to pretty much do whatever you want um and so i had a, a short list i think it was um intelligence military police and something else like some avionic like i don't know mechanic or something okay um and they all sounded cool but like you know the, the videos you're watching are you know war fighters doing doing the the stuff that you people picture when someone says you know oh yeah i'm in the military so right um you know that everybody everybody in the military is a different experience um so not to take away from other jobs but i just i wanted to do like the quote unquote cool stuff that you see and think about when you when you think about you know a marine so um yeah so i i I gave him those those top three lists and then on the way home with what i just said uh in in my mind i I called the recruiter back i was like hey man uh i know i just gave you those three like top three choices and then you know based on which contracts are available for which positions dictates you know when you'll go to boot camp because there needs to be an opening in that position before they'll Oh, interesting. Sign you up. They're not okay. just going to let you sign up for whatever. So um, you give three choices because, you know, the top, the, your top two choices might not be available right now. Mm. So I uh, called him and I was like, hey, man, uh, can you just put me down for infantry? I want to, I want to do that. What do you say? And he's that? like, he's like, what are you talking about? No, don't, you're not doing that. Like you're doing one of the three you've done. Like, what are you, what are you talking about, man? Shut up. And I was like, no, 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 for real. Like, like put it down. And he's like, I mean, sure. I think that they probably get, um, you know, it's probably it, it might be harder to sign somebody up for an infantry contract than like any other like like an avionics mechanic or something like that. Yeah. Um, so I think they, you know, there's always openings for infantry because it's like the most, I guess, what's the word? The most common. There's there's more infantrymen than than not in the Marine Corps. So um, that might not be true. I don't I don't know. of any other Do job. You think they were thinking, oh, we're gonna let one slide if we let this guy go to the infantry and not go. You know, to another you know, division. I think, or? I think uh, like uh, my relationship with him was was good. I think a lot of people will say like, "Oh, I hated my recruiter. He lied to me." Blah blah blah. I didn't. I didn't need the recruiter to to pump me full of all the like, yeah. you know, propaganda to get me to join. I already, I already, I was already down. So him and I were a little bit 
more like open to each other and close and, and whatnot because he knew I wanted to join and was serious about it. So um, he was just being real with me. So, um, you know, he knew me like, you know, you do this, this like a month long process, months long process of doing the paperwork. So um, he, we had talked about my interest in those other fields. So uh, he just wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, yeah. again, being like dumb, making a, you know, I'm 18 year old, making some motivated decision that I'm going to regret. And he's in, uh, so yeah, he's like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm down, man. If you want to do that, um, there's always a position, you know, you can, you can get out of here and go to boot camp in like two months on an infantry contract. And I get, you know, he didn't, he didn't say this, but I'm pretty sure he, they probably get, uh, you know, different, not bonuses, but you know, different, they have different quotas for different positions. So, okay. um, you know, it's always good to retire a quota for, for the infantry guy when, right. when he can. So, yeah. um, you know, he was totally fine doing that. Hmm. He just wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reason. So yeah, went, uh, Went to infantry, went to boot camp, February, nice and cold, Paris Island, and then... Uh, also, yeah. at that at that point, it's all infantrymen that are going to boot camp? No. Uh, so, there's two. There's Paris Island and there's San Diego for the Marine Corps uh, okay. boot camps. Uh, any, anybody that's that's joining goes to one of those two, depending on your side of the Mississippi. Um, okay. So, uh, no, I, I was with certainly a handful of people that were going uh, in the military or in, into infantry uh, positions, uh, but the rest were, you know, run the gamut of different support or uh, other other roles. Yeah, because you said that based off of what contract you had, you went to boot camp at different times, so I didn't know. Right, yeah, no, no that's a good question. So um, you don't necessarily have, like, an, you know, this is an infantry boot camp class, this is a, a non-infantry boot camp class. It's just that there's only... There's only um, you oh, know, like, like a, slots, like, you said. Right, like okay. a company, like, you know, if a company, for example, isn't hiring an engineer right now, like, you know, hey, we're not going to hire you right now. You're going to wait, like, six months until maybe there's an opening. So, um, yeah, I think they, they fill a certain amount of slots per boot camp class of each each position based on the needs of the of the Marine Corps overall. Nice. And you, it's a contract, an inf- infantry contract. So how long is this contract, you know, signed for? Yeah, sure. So contract, no matter what, um, but essentially your contract has, you, you could sign an open contract technically, okay. and some people do that. I don't know why, but they just huh. they just want to join and join as quick as possible, so they do that, but uh, there might be other reasons, that, you know, for whatever reason, but um, it's just on your contract that that is what your MOS is going to be. Mm. Um, so, so there's no duration, technically? You just, you just, it, there is, there, oh, is, there is, yeah. So I signed a four-year contract, okay. so four years of active duty, and then that includes an additional four years of inactive ready reserve, which uh, I'm no longer in that, um, which given the state of the world is cool. Um, But uh, that's essentially, you're not, you don't report to anybody. You're not like a reserve unit. um, But within that four years after the basically year five through eight, if uh, you know, world war three breaks out, um, they can, they can recall um, anybody on inactive ready reserve. So they did that for example, for, for, some positions that they specifically needed guys for that they were maybe light on. Um, they recalled people like that for Iraq, I believe. I'm not sure if they did that for Afghanistan, but interesting. Yep. Wow. So you did. So what year did you enlist then? 2011, 2011. So you served four years till 2015. Yep. Correct. At any point, did you want to extend the contract? Going into it, I definitely thought that I was going to. Yeah. You know, oh, I'm going to be in the um, That's going to be my career. I'm right. going to be in the military. Um, again, everybody's experiences differ. Um, and, you know, I went through boot camp, super motivated. Um, went to, um, 
School of Infantry, SOI, um, which is basically like the kind of an A school or your, your MOS school after the boot camp, okay. um, after your boot camp graduation. Um, and was, was motivated then, but um, I, don't, I guess like, I don't want to like blame it on my leadership and do that cliche thing. Um, but I, I, the people that were kind of directly over me just kind of like, I don't know, put a damper on my motivation, mm-hmm. I guess. So yeah. I was, I was obviously still, you know, high performer and, and motivated, but didn't really make me want to like become them, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I figured, uh, you know, four years is a long time. So, you know, over time I, I kind of evolved that, that attitude and, and what I wanted to do. And, um, around the time that I was getting out, we were supposed to have been dialing down in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we were kind of entering like a peacetime military, uh, atmosphere and, you know, same mindset as, as I had the whole time, you know, like want to do the cool stuff. I don't want to be like, you know, stateside kind of drilling and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I got out, figured I'd, uh, go to college, continue that, that side of my career, Mm. career life. Um, and I think that was the majority, the majority of the friends that I served with, went to boot camp with, was in the same unit with, um, got out, uh, did the same path, you know, went into like firefighting EMS or college, but there's, there's a few that, uh, I went to boot camp with or, uh, served with that are, that are still in, Oh yeah. Um, okay. Still hooking and jabbing, kicking really? ass and taking names. Yep. Love it. At some point, you realized you wanted to go to college afterwards, um, but during how many deployments were you part of? Uh, yep. So I deployed twice. First okay. one was a what's called a MU, MEU, Marine Expeditionary Unit, which, um, if you don't know, the Marine Corps is a department of the Navy. Um, so oh. when, we f- when we first came about as a branch, we were on naval ships to protect. Oh, wow. Okay. Naval vessels. So we would, you know, we would board other other ships, uh, protect the ship that they were attached to, or go ashore from that ship and make amphibious assaults. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yep. Um, Marine name kind of makes more sense when you it think does. of it that way. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I always thought of, you know, boots on the ground, guys on land when you think of Marines. Right, yeah. I mean, in the modern day, that's 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 true for the most part. Yeah. Um, if you think about um, kind of the campaigns in the Pacific that the Marine Corps uh, you know, during World War II was, was heavily a part of army being in Europe in that theater. But, uh, it was all, you know, amphibious landings on islands, going to island hopping campaigns, um, coming off of ships. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So first, first deployment was, uh, attached to a naval unit. So it's a carrier group, so aircraft carrier, and then several other ships attached to it. Mm. Um, it was, it was a cool experience. Um, a lot of people were disappointed, you know, like I've, alluded to several times you want you want to go do the cool stuff you're in the infantry you want to go deploy to a combat zone because that's what you've trained for and what you signed up for so right. um i didn't i didn't mind i mean it you know you got to go train with units uh we trained with spanish forces jordanian forces uh, a lot of different a lot of different people we uh floated around the mediterranean went to kuwait um so certainly a, a pretty cushy easy deployment mm. um we were off the coast of Africa when uh, the um, uh, the embassy in Benghazi was getting attacked. So um, never, that's controversial in my opinion, that the reason we didn't go or, or why we never went, but, you know, we probably probably should have deployed there. But, um, yeah, so basically just on a ship, eating, sleeping, working out, training 24-7 for 10 months in a little tin can, stopping at uh, different, different ports of call. Okay. It was cool. And so... A little bit about 
the Megazi thing. Whenever you heard that went down, was everyone prepared to go in? Were you, did yeah, you so think we it was going to happen? So when we, we got extended, we, we knew there was some like unrest there. Um, you know, you get briefings on, on things, but we didn't really know the extent of what was going, going down until, or I didn't at least. I was kind of low on the totem pole at that point. So hmm. um, I never got very high on the totem pole, but very low on the totem pole when, when that deployment came about. So my first one. Um, I didn't really know. A lot of us didn't know like what the specifics were, what happened until uh, we were, you know, on our way home, crossing the Atlantic, or, or when we had gotten home. Oh, okay. Uh, so you get a little bit mad, you know. You you were nearby and probably could have helped, but um, right. never never got the order to do that. So well, yeah, that's that's why. I mean, a lot of people joined because they wanted to. Right, you want to do that needed. exact same thing. Yeah. Wow. And you didn't. So wow. So yeah, definitely didn't get a lot of news until maybe it was they thought it was necessary for you right exactly i mean you you can you can get news um for sure but we that that was like a rapidly developing situation so um briefed us on kind of what we might be tasked to do but you know we weren't getting the 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 details of what was going down on the ground in in real time um i'm sure somebody was right uh, you know but we we at the at the bottom, that wasn't really necessary information hmm. uh, for us. We just needed to know what we might be called to do. So, um, and we had trained. I mean, that's that's kind of what you're expected to do, uh, or if you have to do anything, that's what you're expected to do. You know, go hmm. reinforce an embassy or evacuate something or riot control or you know help like that. Quick reaction force uh, in the region. So that's all your your training during the the build up to that type of deployment is. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah. So that was the Mew. Uh, really a booze cruise some muse you know get get activated and go into you know afghanistan or iraq or something mm-hmm. um but but we didn't so just kind of training and visiting different european cities it was cool mm-hmm. Not bad. Uh, went to a lot of places more countries than i've been prior and since so, yeah um in, in one 10 month period so that was cool yeah. um second deployment was to afghanistan that was in 2013 i yeah 2013 mm-hmm. um we were in Helmand Province, southern Afghanistan, so kind of desert area. Um, we were at Camp Leatherneck for kind of our main main operating base, but we had a patrol base to the south um, called Camp Boldak, PB Boldak, um, patrol base Boldak. Okay. Um, you, you used to be able to find that on, on Google Maps, like on satellite view. It's this really? tiny little uh, polygon of a, of a base. out. Can't in the, find it anymore? No, they, I mean, it, we tore it down when we left. Okay. Um, buried everything. So, okay. um, yeah. satellite imagery refreshed eventually. Mm-hmm. So I might have a screenshot of it somewhere. It was, it was tiny, like maybe like a, probably like hundred yards by maybe 150 yards. How many soldiers are there at any one, given time? There's one company, uh, of, of Marines and then some Jordanian forces that would, um, was it Jordanian? I think it was Jordanian. Yeah, Jordanian forces. Uh, they were they would they would man the uh, like the perimeter uh, okay. posts for us um, until they left eventually towards the end, and, and we would man them ourselves. But um, yeah, so that was that was interesting. One company platoons like twenty to thirty guys, so I mean like a hundred with support. Hmm. Um, feels like less when you're in it, just because people aren't really up and walking around all that much. But right. small little cozy thing, kind of a little dungeon gym definitely a different feel than your your first deployment then very different yeah 100 <laughs> percent. yeah 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 very, very uh very much different um you know no drinking no no visiting uh different liberty ports i don't think our company lost a single guy 
which is great. That's awesome. Our, our battalion did. Um, most most of the threat in the latter part of the like Afghan war was IEDs. So, hmm. um, but I mean, many IEDs were hit with trucks. We had an IED with our truck. Everyone was fine. You did? Yep. Everyone was fine. Everyone was fine. Small. You. You okay? How many people were in this truck? Uh, I was in the. I was riding shotgun. Yeah, I don't I know if you want to talk. Do you want to talk about yeah, it? Yeah, no, Is I'm okay? fine. Yeah, no, no one was hurt. I'm. I'm totally good with it. Yeah. All right. First, the the holy shit. The fact that you were in a truck that hit an IED, everyone was fine. So you, when you say it like that, it sounds sounds bonkers. So it is the, bonkers. The truck, dude. That, it's bonkers. It is bonkers. Yeah. Don't don't downplay that. So it's it's not just like a Toyota pickup truck. You know, it's yeah. It's a, it's a Humvee. Yeah. It's, well, it's a it's a MRAP, okay. which is okay. you you if you like think about like a smaller like box truck, okay, like pretty big. Uh, huge off the ground, giant, giant, massive tires, run flat tires. The the hull is, you know, thick steel. I don't know what it's made of. Probably some some cool stuff. It's like a V-shaped hull to direct the blast outwards. We also have a what's called a mine roller on the front of it. So, mine like roller. seven ton like platform on wheels that has like not just a few wheels, but like wheels that go that cover the entire footprint that your vehicle will be going in. So just like a whole a whole row of wheels. Um, so you just push that out in front of you like a like a trailer. So okay. anywhere you go, that that's going to take the blast. That's what happened. You want to hear a full story or to... Tell me what you want to tell me. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, I have no problem talking about it. Um, you know, we were fortunate that, that everyone walked away from it. Yeah, dude. Um, so we... It was also very... It was very close to the end of our deployment. Um, we pushed out... I don't know the true purpose of this. That was that was something we didn't. I wanted more of the why. I was always nosy, but I, yeah. I didn't always get those details. But um, we were pushing out before we left. Um, we wanted to push out kind of as like farther than we had previously. So pushed out to this area that the U.S. forces hadn't gone to in a while, um, and that we knew was trafficked um, pretty heavily by Taliban forces. Just you know, trafficking weapons, drugs, whatever. Okay. Uh, IED components. Um, and so we pushed out to that. We occupied just like a small abandoned compound. Um, different platoons would, would occupy like adjacent compounds. Um, and we would just pr- patrol around there. Um, obviously, they didn't expect us to be there and, and didn't enjoy whenever we would push out a little farther because, you know, they, they saw that as, you know, crossing their line, which very right. weird at that point in the war. It wasn't quite as much of a like offensive or or uh anything like that it was really just like security patrolling so mm-hmm. that's what we were doing and then they would you know get attacked we we it's called basically like looking for contact okay. um and so push out a patrol um we we took the a same route multiple times which is kind of a no-no you don't want to set a pattern like that because you know you go the same same route you did that your, route recently or was it yes okay yeah. so um only so many ways you can go sometimes in, in, you know, built up areas. Mm -hmm. Um, and it it wasn't urban by any means, just like little villages, but, um, to go to, you know, one area, you had to go through this one little, um, funnel kind of choke point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there were definitely signs in retrospect that like something was a little off, like, you know, garden rows that we would, we had run over previously, like and been fixed every day would, would, would like, 
typically be fixed weren't built back up so that was a little suspect you know people weren't around like they normally would so yeah um, those are things you probably should have picked up on and we we probably should have backed out mm-hmm. um, gotten someone with a, a sweeper and, and go check it out but um, so yeah we're we uh, proceed through that choke point and kind of there's like a little half wall that we had we had knocked down um, half wall we knocked down uh, so mine roller goes up and over that half wall and as soon as it comes down the other side just boom yeah it just goes goes dark covers off us in dirt you don't really uh you don't really process what happens because it's just a an immediate like you know kind of like a thunderclap louder than you've probably ever heard because it's just a bomb going off in front of you um dirt everywhere obviously so yeah the gunner is fine that was that was kind of my main your your first worry because you know there's there's a turret gunner in in uh top of the truck so um he was he was good you know rocked him pretty good so definitely had a concussion sure um everybody else in the truck was good like i said hit the mine roller so um you know we were good it was also a pretty hastily placed uh like homemade explosive device they're all homemade explosive device it was over this little you said you knocked down a wall so so you were essentially over it went up and then back down and it hit it and that was in front of you so it kind of had to go through a short wall just to get to the truck, kind of? Like the blast? Uh, that, that's I'm trying I, to just picture yeah, that. Yeah, I haven't, like I haven't thought about it like that. So, yeah, the mine roller was on the other side of this. I wouldn't call it a wall anymore. It's really just, you know, a bump. Little so bump. certainly okay. certainly probably helped direct, yeah. direct it off. But, uh, yeah, obliterated the mine roller, which is, is impressive considering it's just like seven tons of steel and other heavy materials just completely gone um the the eod folks came out that was were attached to us um after we you know we kind of regrouped and uh you throw throw green smoke out of the turret just to let everybody know that Mm. you know everyone inside is good okay Okay. radios weren't working for a little while just i'm not an electrician i don't know how blasts interact with your uh, electric equipment but that wasn't working for a little while we got it working eventually and, and we were able to talk to everybody but you know, you get out. Were you the only, were you the only truck out there? At the t- or how many no, trucks were out there? No, we were just the lead truck. There you were, were the lead. Okay. There were maybe four, or five. Typically, four or five go out. Okay. Um, you you patrol with like a, a squad or maybe a platoon, depending on what the operation is, mm-hmm. um, or the specific patrol or mission is. Um, EOD fo- folks come out, sweep sweep the area, clear it all out. Um, a lot of times, when you hit an IED, that's the beginning of an ambush. Uh, that didn't happen um it was just they were just kind of trying to mess with us um so yeah we we get out get in another truck continue on our on our way another unit comes and gets a record and drags the the truck back because it it was disabled it didn't it wasn't really damaged but it was it wasn't working so um keep on rocking and uh yeah everyone you made your way back after that i take it we took a different route okay yeah (laughs) obviously yeah, yeah um big little crater in the in the ground in front yeah. of even if we wanted to go that way so um i learned later after we got back finished whatever patrol security patrol we were doing i learned later we had uh interpreters that had kind of radios that would could monitor mm-hmm. the frequencies that uh like taliban used yeah because um, they're not using like encrypted radio signal like we are but um they listened to the radios and and after the blast had gone off um they you know chatter started to pick up and i guess they were were super close to where the ied was in place 
Um, they took off on a motorbike, which we didn't see that because, you know, we were kind of just making sure everyone's right. good in the truck. But yeah. other people had seen two guys on a, on a motorcycle takeoff. I guess they were, like, so close to the blast and had just put it in that, like, they got covered with, like, dirt. So it couldn't have been too far away, um, which is kind of crazy. That's but, crazy. Yeah, super crazy. So um, it, small small device, too, which typically if, if they're, you know, placing an IED with the intent of taking out a vehicle, it's going to be quite large. But mm-hmm. um the the crater analysis was like i think they said it was like 40 pounds which is which is relatively small so even if it had hit the truck like our like our you know front tire rolled over it versus the mine roller i mean it would have blown the tire off we would have been i think we probably would have been fine depending on the the nature of the device i don't know if you've thought about this or want to think about this but why do you think it was a, a smaller one then I don't know, maybe just all they had or all they had time to in place. They didn't have time to, you know, it's not like a frequented area that we were at okay. or, or heavily trafficked area. So, you know, it's not something that they're going to, they're going to gather a bunch of materials and, and make like a, a big device. Hmm. Um, there were vehicle borne S or, or sorry, S, S, um, IEDs, um, which those are typically the, the bigger ones, like thousand pounds of explosive just in the car. Um, that didn't we didn't have uh we didn't have any run-ins on that one uh one hit some trucks and another uh company in our battalion um everyone survived that too shockingly one of my buddies in the back of that truck he got pretty jacked up but you know went home with all with all his limbs okay he's uh yeah still still rocking and rolling but (laughs) certainly uh certainly probably probably affects you you know um yeah absolutely blast like that but yeah no we were uh we were fine i'm i'm obviously Relatively normal still, I guess, depending on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, very very fortunate. Wow, dude, yeah. Did you did you want to process and think about it at the time, or were you, were you just like, okay, did you put it in the back of your mind saying, I'll try to process this and think about it in depth later. I'm still over here. I still have you know my duties to do. Did you kind of shove it in the back of your mind, or did you try to process it early? Yeah, I mean, I I think there, so. I mean, we, we, we were taking contact frequently, um, so okay. it wasn't like a, a new thing. Like, okay. um, you know, if that was our first patrol after yeah. getting Afghanistan, it might have rattled me a little bit more. But, um, you know, thinking about the fact that, like, an individual, like, put that device there with the intent of, you know, killing or hurting you and your right. friends is, is obviously a lot to process. But um, I think by that, by that time, you're a little bit numb and potentially even a little complacent, which maybe that's why a lot of the signs that we could have picked up on, um, that something was a little bit off baseline was, was going down. Um, so yeah, I, you know, we, we got back to the base, you, you debrief on it, like talk about what lessons, you know, Hey, like in retrospect, all the things that I just discussed, like we had, we had, we had called out, but we didn't think about it, you know, in the time to stop and turn around and go elsewhere. But, right. um, you know, you talk about it, um, you see the, uh, the corpsman, medic um equivalent in the marine corps just make sure you're okay. not you know like mentally or or physically bent out of shape or concussed or anything like that so um you know you process it talk about it with your friends but i think the fact that you know no one even was was injured really other than maybe some headaches um you know very much changes the outcome like you know if someone definitely yeah. someone was injured or, or hurt or killed that obviously changes the yeah. the stressor amount definitely a perspective changer i think 100 percent, yeah i mean um i think the and like i said at that point i mean 
there were many times like bullets snapped by you and you know that someone just sighted it on you and pulled the trigger with the intent to hurt you. So, um, what well, this having, was, did this happen second deployment? This second, th- yeah, okay, all, okay. all in Afghanistan. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, right. You know, throughout, throughout that yeah. deployment, right. I mean, you, you know, you take contact frequently, whether you're, you know, in the truck, it's not, not that big a deal. Bullets ping off the truck. It's bulletproof. So, um, but you know, when you're on like a uh, foot patrol, hmm. um, you, you hear bullets, snap a little closer than normal you, kind of an odd feeling knowing that like someone just tried to snap what do you kill mean, you snap hit the truck or uh so when a when a when a bullet is when a bullet goes by you um it's it's displacing the air because it's going so fast and then the air claps together and it's okay it expands it and then it kind of it claps so it sounds it sounds just like a like a snap um you ever heard you ever taken a leather belt and yeah and, and snapped it yeah um like you you fold it in half mm-hmm. for for people that aren't watching me with my hands right now <laughs> you fold it in half and then you like put your hands together and it like makes the like two bends on each side of the belt and then you pull apart and it snaps yep that's as close as i've been able to reproduce you, i mean there are movies nowadays that, that the snaps are realistic but um when it's when it's super close you hear that snap you also hear kind of a hiss um so you hear that and you know that like you know they were they weren't shooting at like the buddy next to you or you hear you know, the hiss before or after the snap. No, it's like at the same time. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's a crazy feeling. Definitely like puts in perspective. I think, I think that's probably maybe why I'm more inclined to have that poster on my wall. Cause yeah. I've, I've come to terms with my mortality and I know that, you know, today I could walk out of, uh, walk out of the vehicle or walk out of the patrol base and not get back in the vehicle. So you kind of yeah. just, come to terms with that pretty early on no wonder you're so calm dude yeah there's not, not a lot rattles me i get i get annoyed still obviously like anybody but i uh yeah in uh in comparison to the the stressful events or you know something as as grim as that uh could have been you know you, you just kind of think in relative terms like this this tiny inconvenience is annoying uh but you know in the grand scheme of things not that big of a deal gonna be fine yeah, don't Obviously. don't don't uh i don't take that same advice in traffic though <laughs> i get annoyed yeah yeah but going into the military those are the things that you know you're up against but i know that obviously that gives you different perspective but also the discipline aspect of the military is something that changes you as well so did you feel like you were a different person when you came back um i think it happens over time so like you know if if i were to be able to flip a switch like yeah. in mindset and body like from you know the day i left for boot camp and the, the day i walked out of the barracks for the last time i'm sure that i you know i was a very different person for sure but um you know like my like core principles and morals and like my persona i don't think was all that different yeah did you miss it at all oh yeah i still up? miss it for sure i Do mean you? shooting machine guns like the brotherhood and, and the camaraderie and stuff or yeah for sure also that, that also too. the machine guns yeah i mean you, you go from living i mean your barracks are basically just like a crappy hotel and you're living with hundreds of dudes within you know walking distance two minutes walk 10 seconds walk and most times so um going from that to you know maybe having a few friends where you are or none in some people's cases is definitely definitely a hard transition i feel like that's probably why a lot of people have that much trouble transitioning let alone you know going from a military lifestyle where everyone's a hard charger and you know getting after it to that not being the case and people not having dealt with the stressful scenarios that you have so right you know 
you screwed up my Starbucks order and I'm going to flip out on you for that. Right. Do you kind of, do you, do you just kind of laugh at those people? Yeah. I used to get really annoyed and frustrated and like want to have to tell them like, right. Your life is easy. Shut the fuck up. Like get over yourself. But like yeah. they, they, they didn't make the choices I did. Like I can't really be mad because they haven't intentionally stressed their bodies or stressed their minds out. And maybe they're having a horrible day. Like I said, I, I sit in traffic sometimes and cuss at people through the window. Like, <laughs> chill out, dude. Yeah. there's th- To the driving point, though, I mean, there's the the part where you're driving a multiple-ton vehicle, you know, going 60, 70 miles an hour down the road. You know, it's uh, definitely very understandable, yeah, dude. Sure. There, there's People are different behind the wheel. 100%. Yeah. But, no, to that point, I, I, I would think it would definitely be frustrating just transitioning into quote unquote normal life, you know, seeing people get upset about dumb fucking things, but yeah, you, uh, it definitely changes your perspective. Yeah. You know, your, your thinking relative to other people's is different. Um, but you know, can't fault them for that. Maybe they're having a bad day and just reacting poorly or whatever. I didn't know about the, about some of that that's that's i don't know how you transition into anything else after that that's was, that's was a yeah i mean e- was, even uh even if i hadn't gone to afghanistan i mean you uh so I, you join the infantry and then you can you can choose uh several different paths i think fewer now they they eliminated some of the uh hmm. specific mos's um so why why do they eliminate those i don't know that was controversial uh, the specific one that and might maybe they've brought it back since then but it was a it's called an assaultman. Okay. Um, so there's a there's so in within infantry, within like a line or a weapons company, there are riflemen, which is run of the mill, what you think of as like infantrymen, um, and there's machine gunners, which is what I was, mm-hmm. uh, and there's mortarmen, which are you know the mortar tubes okay. launch, launching little uh, explosives out, yeah, and then uh, assaultmen. There's also there's different specialties as well, but those are the main. <laughs> The main four. Assault men are like what you think of with like breachers and like rockets and whatnot. Okay. Um, they did away with that. So I don't know. I don't know. I think they, they realized that they could just train riflemen to do that stuff, which they do. Um, I'm not really, I'm not sure. That was, that was a recent, uh, somewhat recent, maybe in the past few years. Um, change stuff. You know, war fighting is different now than it was yeah. in World War Two. So you should probably yeah, make some changes. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, where was I? So I, yeah, I was I was a machine gunner. So even if I didn't didn't deploy, um, you know, you're you're spending four years of uh, training, going to ranges, shooting automatic belt-fed weapons, just throwing thousands of dollars of ammunition, hundreds of thousands of dollars of ammunition. You know, shooting 50 caliber machine guns, uh, Mark 19, which is an automatic grenade launcher. Like it's just badass shit that I'm never ever gonna do again. <laughs> I could go to Vegas and there's some like companies and that, that will let you shoot like 10 rounds of a, of a Mark 19 or 50 cal, yeah. but it's like fucking like five grand or something silly like that. Wow. When what? I was, I was doing that for free all the time. Damn. So, I mean, whenever you're deployed and if you weren't on a mission, like how often did you like go to the range every day practice or what was when you're deployed? No, not, not really. I mean, you're firing your, your weapon if you're for, taking it's contact. Just, re- it's re- re- just for real or nothing. Yeah, I mean there there are there are ranges on the main base. On our base, there wasn't really enough room to do that. Okay. I guess you could have if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, but now you'd go to the main, which was 
Camp Leatherneck. Um, that doesn't mm. exist anymore, obviously. Um, that got torn down shortly after we left as well. Mm. Um, so there were ranges on that. Like when you get to when you get in country, you qualify. Not not really qualify, but just like make sure your your weapon is firing correctly, your sights zeroed, etc. Um, do a little practice, do some drills. Mm. Um, you could probably require. I'm sure units that were that were staged there. I'm sure they used it regularly probably would be better to use it regularly just to make sure you know you're running and gunning running around dropping your weapon bumping into stuff so you probably should do it in hindsight we probably should have yeah. um but you know you, you every time you fire your weapon you you know you you you'd be able to see if your, your rounds are effective or mm. i could talk about ask you questions about this all day but like you said you like to work with your hands, and it looks like you've continued to do that after leaving the military. And I mean, just the things around your house right now that you've done yourself, like I'm looking at, you know, a nice um, bags boards that you created yourself. I that you made. Cornhole made that. <laughs> uh, yeah, very nice. Um, I did. I, I'm, I'm sad you mentioned that first, because if you notice those legs that aren't folded all the way. I know. In, I remember you saying that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. I didn't drill. The, I didn't think about it. I should have followed a plan, but I just kind of winged it. Um Making it sound less cool right now. I they're, wing they're it sweet. a lot. It is really cool. It's stained. It looks looks like a aged wood, uh, but I drilled the holes in the incorrect spot when I made the like legs so they mm. don't collapse all the way. But it's it's cool. It, they're really solid. There's no bounce to them. I uh, yeah. I polished and waxed the the surface so the bags slide nicely. Got some nice American done. flag uh, mm. champion level bags. We'll have to play. It's yeah, nice today. Absolutely, dude. Yeah, I would. Um, Wanted to bring that up first, but then, you know, what we've been using the last two days, you made, so, so I'll, I get targeted all the time. I, I love cold plunges. You know, I've, I've, I, I take cold showers. I don't have a plunge, but I get targeted for this all the time. And all the cold plunges are targeted like ads. Yes. Targeted yeah. ads are thousands of dollars. And, you know, essentially I've, I figured there's gotta be a way that you can make one yourself. And, you know, there's tutorials online and you, that's exactly what you did. So it's it's a awesome setup. Explain the setup, how you put it together, and kind of how it's just so cold and how we've been able to use it. Yeah, sure. I still get tar- targeted with all the, all do you the really? cold punch stuff too, for sure. Do you yeah. respond, be like, yo, I made one myself, motherfucker? No. What do you say? <laughs> no, I don't do that. That would be funny. Um, so I looked, I looked through those, um, you know, last year when I was making it. Um, and there are some good options. Um uh, but you really don't. The, the main thing about a cold plunge is that the chiller, which is expensive, the most expensive part. Yeah. Um, keeping you said they're it, up to keeping, like a grand. Keeping right? it cold. Yeah, you could probably get a cheap one and jerry rig it together off yeah. Amazon. That would that would maybe work. But mm. you know, it's North Carolina. It gets hot in the summer, uh, especially in my garage where right. it is right now. A little sauna, sauna zone. So you got the next best thing. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there there are nice nice options um, online, but typically when you're the ones that are less than like five grand are just maybe they have a filter component, but there's no chiller. So it's, it's, you're paying a bunch of money for a tub essentially. Yeah. That maybe has a filter on it. Yeah. I don't know. But so, uh, what I opted for after doing some, some research online with different plans and different ideas and reading some blogs and looking at regular, like actual for sale cold plunges to see how they worked, um, kind of deducing from like their, their features list. Cause you know, they're not going to tell you how they built it and what they use, but, um, and like a Marosco forge or something nice, mm. nice like that, but bought a, uh, 100 gallon stock tank. Okay. 
um, which is basically, as Emily likes to remind me, it's basically like an animal trough that you would see (laughs) in a a horse field. Yeah, Yeah, just a nice black Rubbermaid stock tank, um, about the size of a tub. I mean, you you can can lay down in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Knees bend a little bit if you want to go all the way to your neck, Um, but you could also just extend your legs and sit back up against it not yeah. all the way in so big yeah stock tank um used a circular saw on the drill bit i think it's a circular saw i said that the other day and i doubted myself it's a drill bit it's that's a circular, circular drill bit it's a circular it's a, it's a, right? it, it it looks like a like if you took a like a cup yeah. like a like that's a drinking I, okay, cup and put I it on a drill bit yeah. and put put saw teeth on the, okay. the rim of the cup that's okay. what, that's what mm. i'm pretty sure it's a circular saw but circular saw sounds wrong, so I don't know. Did you buy the Did you buy the tubes first? Like, did you buy your filter first and see the size of the tube before you bought the the drill bit? Nope. So you so knew the I size. I went on a bit of an adventure. I wasn't a first try and done guy type guy. So okay. My first. So I bought a. I think it was like a like a Danner or something pump, smaller pump. That pump didn't work, so I returned that pump. Got a got a more powered pump, and that worked a little bit, um, just to push it through the uh like pvc plus home water filter system which looks like a filter you see under a sink sometimes yeah that worked kind of but it it didn't really filter it very well and the pump wasn't very powerful so like it took like you had to just run it constantly so it wasn't working so um there was also no sanitation, so um, there wasn't enough power to push it through the additional component that I had made. Um, so next evolution um, was stock tank plus a an Intex in-ground pool filter plus pump. It's a little combination. Um, so powered for like a 10,000-gallon pool for my 100-gallon stock <laughs> tank. So, you know, I run it for like an hour, and it turns over the water like three times. That's awesome. Because it's like a thousand gallons per hour. So, wow. um, that's a sand filter. So, big old little like filter tank filled with sand, okay. really fine grain sand um, that filters out particles. And then I had an ozone generator that um, the the out hose from the filter back to the pool. I split it so water would continue through the main pipe but then it would also divert i had a ball valve mm. and i would close the main pipe so it would divert oh. up through this little subsection of piping that had a it's got a called a venturi uh hmm. a venturi something venturi adapter something i don't okay. know essentially yeah, so yeah. when you're when you're adding fertilizer to water um like in agricultural like i don't know tractor something yeah something like that um venturi basically uh it it comes it's like a small cone inside of the pipe so it um the water pressure gets builds up really high and then sprays out the other end at a really high pressure and it creates a little bit of a vacuum so that on the top of the venturi there's a small hose and it'll pull whatever you're trying to insert into the water and mix with the water it'll pull it into the water mixture on the way past the venturi V-E-N-T-U-R-I, if you want to Google that later. Wow, this is um, okay. It's a very, very cool concept. Um, so went down that rabbit hole. And so an ozone generator, um, you can get them for whatever. But um, this one, it would it has a little small UV light that creates the ozone. Um, Penny's eye, I eyeball. Know. <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't move. Uh, so the, the ozone needs to be like pulled out of the generator or it'll just burn up the, 
the unit. So it needs to be pulled in to the water via that Venturi adapter. So, um, yeah, that would like, that would kind of, while it's running and while the ozone is mixing with the water, aerating into the water, um, that'll kill off pretty much anything that it comes in contact with. Um, ozone, obviously three oxygen, very, very oxidizing, about as oxidizing as you could get, I think. Um, not a, not a chemist. So I don't know. That might be wrong, but anyway, so uh, right. that was the second evolution. Yeah. Um, that worked, that worked decently well. Um, I, I wasn't confident that it was sanitizing it to a full degree. Um, just cause it's really only the sanit the sanitation method is really only working when the pump is on. So, um, you know, for overnight, I mean, it's cold water and it's, it's not like it's outside. Right. Um, so anyway, that, that was the second evolution. It worked pretty well. Um, the part that I didn't, I don't have a chiller cause I was on, I was doing a budget build. So, you know, that all was like, even with the first evolution included, maybe like 300, 350. Okay. Um, which isn't bad at all. So, um, figured I, I needed a cover for it to, to help keep it cold. Mm-hmm. Um, cause you know, I would put, I like fill it with a little bit with ice and then fill it with water so it would be cold. But then I would have, you know, like two liter water jugs that I would throw in our garage freezer and then kind of rotate those in as almost like an ice pack to keep the water temp down. Mm-hmm. And that worked until, you know, the North Carolina summer uh, put a squash yeah. to it. So yeah. figured I needed an insulated cover. Uh, so I made kind of with some um, foam board insulation, like the two inch, three inch thick pink foam board, cut that. Um, to the right size so that it would fit, fit snugly uh, into the into the stock tank and then kind of wrapped some uh, a few layers of plastic sheeting around that foam obviously because I don't want the don't want the foam dipping in the water right and then kind of attached that to a cover um, that I made um, and that works really well it fits really well um, eventually I'll make a an, an, an like an enclosure for the tub and all of the the cooling unit and the filter and whatnot mm. that'll fit within that like kind of enclosure. So it'll just kind of look like a more legit box okay. unit. Yeah. Um, it'll match the cover. But um, the next evolution, which was this year um, took out the Venturi and the ozone generator, just cause I didn't feel like it was working all that much mm. in the ozone generator. Um, I needed to go plug that in myself to have it turn on and unplug it to make it turn off. Oh, so okay. I could have bought like a timer switch for it, yeah. but um, it was hard to make it make sure it was running only when the pump was running. Mm. Um, otherwise the unit would burn out because water wasn't creating that vacuum through the Venturi adapter and wasn't pulling the ozone out of the unit. So the unit would just burn. Um, so yeah, took that out. Now I just have the sand filter in the pump. Um, and I went down the rabbit hole of pool chemistry with chlorine versus salt water versus bromine, etc. cetera. Uh, Hot tubs use bromine typically. Pools okay. use chlorine typically. Um, thing about chlorine in outdoor pools is that UV degrades it and it kind of gases off in other compounds, chlorinated compounds. Um, and so you need a bunch more chemicals. But indoor pools, no, there's no UV. And for me, there's a very light like bather load. There's not like 100 people using it and sweaty and constantly peeing in it and stuff like that. So um, you just need like... I think it was three teaspoons of uh, liquid chlorine in the 100-gallon water. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a little bit of baking soda to the the water here. I don't know why. It's kind of a low pH, so a little on the acidic side. So um, added some baking soda to increase the alkalinity, um, which alkalinity uh, kind of buffers pH. So the higher the alkalinity, um, 
one, most things that are alkaline and going to increase the alkalinity are going to increase the pH to be more alkaline. Okay. Um, that's not always the case, interestingly enough. But um, So high alkalinity is separate from pH. Um, it's kind of a scale versus a threshold. I'm, I'm not... I'm not, I'm not sure how to explain it, but anyway, yeah. alkalinity, pH. So um, high alkalinity buffers the pH and makes it harder to shift the pH one way or the other. Okay. So okay. Raise, the, raise the pH into normal range and also raise the alkalinity so that, you know, me getting in it and being a little sweaty or like maybe I had some sunscreen and it like screws with the pH. Yeah. Well, the high alkalinity will help buffer that and keep it in the range that, it's, that I want it in. Okay. So um, got some, you know, got some test kits. Make sure it's in uh, acceptable ranges, mm. which is like three parts per million of chlorine to water, um, which it's in right now. pH is like 7.2, um, and I don't have to do anything. Don't need to have an ozone generator. There's just, it's just a chlorine pool now at this point. How often do you have to put chlorine in it? I only put it in the one the first time. Wow. Yeah, so I'll just test it. You know, I might text it, test it like next weekend just to see if it's if it's fine. Um, so you, if you need to put more chlorine in it, you'll... Will you put more baking soda in it for the whole? No. So funny enough, so liquid chlorine is a pH of like 11 or 13. It's alkaline. Okay. Which I thought the I would have just assumed the opposite. Um, but you think about it, like like bleach, for example, mm-hmm. is super basic, super alkaline, mm-hmm. um, not acidic. Okay. Because um, that's basically sodium chlorinate, which... I, don't know, I didn't know that until I started researching it, but yeah, um, I'm I'm just I'm learning right now. That's why I'm not commenting. Yeah, you're, no, you're telling you're, me a lot. You're fine. So sodium chlorinate. So yeah, there's also salt in there, um, but yeah. So now we have a, a chlorine pool. Eventually, uh, I'll just save up some cash and get a uh, a chiller, mm. so I don't have to consist continuously like shuffle in frozen jugs. Um, it's cold right now. It's like probably like in the low fifties, which yeah. It's pretty cold. Yeah. Um, well, it helps you. You got the massive freezer in there, and I, how many how many gallons did you have in it the other day? It was 12, 14? You had a ton jugs. Of, yeah, jugs of of you I know the water. There, that you there froze are ice. there are nine. Nine. No, I used to have a lot more when I was trying to keep up with the summer heat, and yeah. I just gave up. Um, did you? You said you rotated like three or four at a time, kind of thing. Yeah. Or? Yeah. Yep. Which by the time it the, the next four froze, I was ready to rock with a, a new three. So, yeah, you you fought that during summer and put it away for a little bit and you're bringing it back out. Yeah, so I had I had just emptied it, cleaned it. I didn't clean it till recently, but I had emptied it. Put in new sand, got it all got it all set up like a week ago. Um now that it's cold and it's possible again and I when you guys were coming, so I yeah. wanted you guys to to have the cold plunge experience. Appreciate that. Um, and you're rucking more now. I am rucking more now. Um which obviously rucked in the Marine Corps. I don't I think I'd be lying if I said that I enjoyed it while I was in. Um, you do it because you know, you know you want to be in the best shape possible, and right. as fit as possible, and as capable of you know doing your job as possible. Um, so you you do it. But um, yeah, been doing it. But got a got a good group at work that does it on Tuesdays and Thursday mornings, bright and early, in the dark now since it's yeah. so dark in the morning. You go headlamp? No, we're on. Uh, we got enough alum from like the moon and okay. stars. Um, and it's on a road, so there's like a greenway that goes along a road yeah. nearby. Um, it's been fun. Got a got a good good crew. We do like four miles, three or four miles. You want you want to say why you're starting to ruck again? So I I had started rucking prior to to okay to doing that. Okay, I thought that was we just okay. So uh, well, comfort crisis or time lapse? 
Time lapse. Oh, okay. Well, well no, we'll, not even time lapse. We'll get the, the time lapse. The, the half, the half. Oh, lap. that too. Yeah. Yeah. Rucking was a product before that, but that's why that. Uh, we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. a good point. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah. Um, it it evolved quickly. Very very quick escalation. So there was a lot that went on yeah, within about yeah, a three week, two week period. Motivation went from zero to hundred real quick. Yeah. Real quick. Um, so we moved to a new campus. My company did. Um, the gym is super nice for an office, but it, it's it's much less complete uh compared to north carolina state's gym carmichael gym which is phenomenal you know Mm -hmm. division one school um pretty pretty solid gym so we had we had access to that at our old old office location so um we have a new office location which is fantastic we took you guys through it yesterday it's just incredible um but the gym is is you know it's an office gym super nice for an office gym but it's it's not built out yet it's still new um so uh, missing some stuff so i was i was kind of like not motivated in my workouts anymore um wanted looking for something else so uh i've read a book uh comfort crisis recently yep. have, you, have you read it yet not yet oh you gotta read it i know uh my I'm buddy do i'm due for a book so it might be time my friend jesse or, or our friend our friend jesse um read it uh and suggested it for me and i had heard it heard about it but i hadn't thought to read it and he suggested it, so read through that. Crushed it pretty quick. It's a quick, quick read, good read by Michael Easter, um, and he kind of advocates for rucking too. Um, and I didn't want to. I wasn't. I ran a marathon last year, which is part of the reason I had the ice plunge going. Yeah. Um, didn't really want to get into running because, like, I don't know. I, I yeah, vowed, why did you do that? I vowed to. Why did I run the marathon? Yeah. Just real quick, small tangible. Why yeah, did, did you? Yeah, do that? sure. So uh, we'll go back to rucking, but I'm just curious. I never really understood. Guy, I never heard of why you did that. Yeah, no, sure. So I, I, a guy I work with, uh, his name is Eric uh, Hewell. I don't think he'd have. Uh, oh, the ultra runner. Yep. Okay. He, uh, I don't think he'd have a problem saying his name. Um, he works at Band with it as well. Super cool guy. Um, he was doing a race known as the Tuna Run Relay Race, which is a 206 mile run from Raleigh to. Atlantic City or Atlantic mm-hmm. Beach, not Atlantic City, Atlantic Beach, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the the bottom of the Outer Banks before it really gets into like the actual barrier islands. Okay. Basically on the coast of North Carolina. So yeah. it's like uh, two, 206 miles, quite long. Uh, typically six or 12 man teams do that in a relay race fashion, which he had done in previous years. And our company, I believe, still holds the record for the six man team. Um, I, I wasn't a part of that, but mm. just plugging bandwidth for now. Um <laughs> And he had the wild goal to run it himself, the entire thing. Uh, and not only did that, but he wanted to set the record. The record was, uh, I think, 54-53. So 54. For a team? An individual. Okay, okay, okay. So some some crazy people now and then want to do it. And so there was a right. record, 54 minutes okay. and 53 seconds, I think, something like that. Well, uh, how many hours? You said 54 hours. 54 hours. So running straight okay. for 54 hours yeah. with some breaks built in. Yeah. Um, so he wanted to do that. So um, I knew about this. Our company kind of sponsors like epic things like that. Um, and so they were going to sponsor for him, like, you know, get some, get him some gear, get him a, a trainer. And That's really cool. All that. Yeah. Paid for a house on the beach for the, for his crew. Cause obviously you got like two vans and pit crews and whatnot right. to support someone on a, on a venture that, that crazy. So, uh, one of my, one of my good friends, Joe, who's, uh, who works in, in kind of the media side of bandwidth at my company. Um, he's a professional photographer, videographer, super talented. Um, he's a guy I play poker with. You, oh, you, you yeah. met him. Yeah. Yep. Um, Joe, he hunts as well. He's, he got into archery recently, oh, really? uh, which I'm psyched about. He, okay. he gun hunts too, but anyway, uh, Joe 
um, needed someone because our company sponsoring it. They wanted to document it. They wanted mm-hmm. to have someone follow them along with, with you know, cameras, video, video stuff. So um, Joe was going to do that, obviously, because he's 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 the man for that job mm-hmm. at bandwidth um, and needed a second person to come. And he asked me and I was like, oh, man, that sounds phenomenal. Asked my manager. She was down for it. I got paid to go do that. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's not my job, clearly. Why not? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we rented a rented a Camaro and followed uh, Eric along on his adventure and just shot video and pictures of him along the whole way. Kind of got so to interact cool. and, and be like kind of in the mix with him as his pit crew and himself kind of went through that whole, hmm. uh, yeah, pain parade. And the result was? He ran it in 51 hours and some change, which smashed the record Ooh, i think he yeah. ran three extra miles because he took a wrong turn at one point. <laughs> oh no so you're running i mean back roads right nowhere so yeah so that was that was super impressive um he had a lot of people on his crew that would would run with him and pace during certain sections of it for most of it so like even those guys were running like more than like multiple marathons in that's some crazy cases yeah over that over that time period yeah with him um so yeah just you know absolute absolute perseverance and struggle bus to, to do something like that I, I would i don't plan to ever try that nor do i think i could do that uh certainly not in 54 hours maybe like 54 days <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah what got to watch that firsthand um there's we'll watch the video of that yeah. there's like a two minute summary video oh that's it's, cool it's super sick um so yeah then then uh stayed for the weekend at a, at a house that our company paid for on the beach you know eric was like icing his legs the whole time while I was going to say he's got to be so, messed up for yeah. a little bit after that <laughs> yeah super uh, super impressive so he he obviously got me motivated I'd never run a marathon before I was obviously you know by default a runner in the Marine Corps and mm-hmm. was good at running mm-hmm. uh, ran in high school and whatnot did track so um, yeah he got me motivated to go run a marathon so trained for a marathon had a four hour goal checked that box and I was like alright I'm done I, I ran the marathon and I don't think I ran for like eight months after i <laughs> literally finished the marathon and didn't run another mile for like until maybe uh like two months ago <laughs> uh, well you've been doing i mean you're doing a ton of different other work well you're lifting and stuff it's not like you haven't been doing anything but yeah i mean i would i would consider myself a fit right. fit individual mostly yeah. mostly been doing like strength and power stuff right that's some like lift goals big three lift goals um but now so, back on the ruck grind yeah so Went and got like a Facebook Marketplace, like military surplus style pack. Yeah, in Charlotte. Frame pack. In. Yep. Yeah. Got it in Charlotte. Got Jesse a matching pack. So we, uh, which is way too small for him. He's like six, I don't know, six, seven or something. Yeah. He's tall. Yeah. So that the pack doesn't necessarily fit him, which. Really? It's so big though. Yeah, but you want, you got to, you got to think that like. Straps or you want to have the hip belts like on, like above or on your hips. Uh, but then you don't, you want the shoulder. So you want that low enough or high enough. And then you want the shoulder straps, like the, 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 to be above the shoulder height. But like, that works great for me. But he mm. can't do that. So like, interesting. Okay, yeah, it pulls a lot on his shoulders uh, at the same time. So yeah, it doesn't fit him perfectly. It's also it's a cheap pack. I mean, this is what the military used like I don't know a decade ago, probably okay. probably more than that. So yeah. um, he has a nice like backpacking bag that he could probably use but you know you don't want to just throw 60 pounds in that and right. beat it up if you're going to use it for actual camping and whatnot so um yeah got on the rucking game doing that tuesdays and thursdays and then uh we were at the beach 
actually with uh, Jesse, Cam and Danielle, our friend Lauren, um, mm-hmm. friend Mike, Jesse's roommate Mike. Um, he's in the Air Force, actually. Okay. Um, the That weekend, uh, unbeknownst to Danielle, w- there was a surprise for Cam to mm-hmm. uh, drop down on a knee and propose. So that got that got yeah. that job done did well yeah. uh we, we all kept the secret surprisingly that'd be uh, so hard yeah it was tough you just like want to like make a comment but then you realize right. that that's gonna be a big ass hint that yeah. you can't make right right yeah. <laughs> um but I, I feel like i can keep a secret good so it was, it was all good um but the the kicker of that so lauren is has signed up for a half marathon uh at nags head which is in the outer banks um in april and she brought this up on the trip brought it up on the trip she okay. her friend was pressuring her to sign up because um and she wanted to sign up but she was nervous mm-hmm. and so you know we were all drinking i was just being obnoxious and like ragging on her like do it right now come on yeah. sign up and she was like apprehensive about it she wanted to do it but she knew that like the moment you click register like you know you can't you can't back out now nope. it's like 90 bucks to register for a to go hurt yourself on a run you know yeah um so i told her that if she signed up Right now, by midnight, I think it was like 10 o'clock at this point, by midnight, I would do it uh, with her. Um, and, Love that. And so uh, I can't remember if she did it that night or the next morning. but um, So that committed me to at least 13 miles. And then um, I was drunk, so I, I, I can't remember if it was that day or the <laughs> next day when I, when I said it that I would, I would, I would do it with to, – to try to convince her further to – to register right now i told her i would do the half marathon with a pack on which is a funny concept and idea i don't know why i didn't right. want to do that but well for uh, people who don't know you you would have made this decision i thought you made this decision sober this would definitely be a decision you'd make sober so like it's not like you just were drunk and made a random you know decision to do this but yeah but i mean obviously that influence i needed the, 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 the push to do it maybe but yeah i needed um it's not like I needed the spark. Yeah. Right, the spark okay. had died after the marathon. Okay, I checked my goal and I was done. Wasn't ever running again. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are uh, with uh, the plan to do a 24-hour relay race in March. No, May. Well, well, slightly back up. Probably the next day, Selena and I get a text saying, "Hey, do you want to run a half marathon? Do you want to rock a half marathon?" Oh yeah, I, I, did like, say, I did. Yes, I was like, "Ooh," because I knew I had I had the time lapse race yep. coming up, which is a 24-hour race at the Whitewater Center. Uh, in Charlotte, I knew I wanted to do that, so I knew I, I needed miles on the legs. Part of me really wanted to do the rucking still. I knew that I'd have to substitute miles for rucking miles, so I found which uh, isn't necessarily bad, right? No, I agree, but I wanted to find a happy medium, and so I'm gonna run the half marathon um, with a weighted vest on. I like it. I'm yeah. I'm down for that. That's I mean that's impressive for sure. And your weighted vest is gonna be nearly as much as my pack anyway. So. It's gonna be, I'm I'm it, up to 28. I think I'm gonna do around 20. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Obviously, that's that's a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. a considerable amount of weight. I know. Um, especially over 13 miles. It's going to suck. Um, a day or two after you asked me to run that, and I committed to it, I think a day or two later, you sent me a Google Sheets of your five-month plan for this ruck. And you put it together so quickly. What were the pillars you built on um, with the plan? Yeah, sure. So, to be fair, I, I repurposed my old uh training plan for my marathon okay so that's why it came together and, and it, it's it's pretty like pretty well ironed and uh presentable and cute looking because i 
you know, nice. just from the marathon plan. But um, so repurposed that, changed all the dates, obviously. The goal had shifted. So it was just running a half marathon and, you know, need to build up the volume and the mileage on your legs uh, just for a run of that that distance anyway. Um, plus running with a ruck. So, right. um, you know, uh, during the week, um, kind of focused in early on in the plan, focusing on um, getting just like my miles up with a ruck on. Um, as well as kind of adding runs in. Um, eventually, I'll go from kind of different phases. So, uh, rucking and then running, and then running with a ruck, and then just walking, rucking, um, and then building up the pace uh, for those. Yeah. So, um, it's going to be an adventure. Um, I think the the most miles I do with a ruck on is 15, which is like a. I think that's like a. 22k or 25k or something that's a haul yeah it's gonna be fun and how uh is is that right before like the taper uh so that where you that's get to that i'm not running that far with the ruck on. no right right but like are you until you go down in mileage like are you going to do some form of like small taper i didn't look into the end of it too much I'm, yeah i checked no. it out but what yeah so so essentially originally the plan before time lapse yeah that i had created was you know, tapering down to the half marathon, and that was going to be the race day. Now I don't taper the half marathon at all. It's just basically a, tr- a training run. That's in true. My... That's true. I guess. So, uh, I mean, I can kind of read it out. The uh, basically the the Saturdays is, is really where the the meet is. The long yeah. the long run slash long ruck. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays will also be runs, uh, or or rucks, uh, or both. Um, I kind of build in. Slowly, I'll do. I'm already uh, on Thursdays. I have a, a ruck in the morning with with the, with the with the group, and then I run at lunch if I don't have meetings or run after work. Um, eventually, I'll get to two or three runs a day just to kind of emulate <laughs> the uh, the time lapse. That makes it so enjoyable to ruck with other people who like to do it too. Oh, it's awesome! Yeah, um, rucking rucking the two mile lap around my neighborhood is not nearly as nearly as fun. Although I, you know you can listen to podcasts and music, yeah. whereas yeah. whereas you're just chatting. So it. it both have their uh, merits but um yeah i'll build in uh speed work on uh thursdays um heavy heavy days on tuesdays i'll work up to like 85 pounds in a ruck um which if you read about you know read research and our literature about you know rucking training and whatnot which there's increasingly a lot of um they'll say like don't go above like 20 or 30 percent of your body weight um and Definitely don't fucking run with that <laughs> on your back. Um, yeah. But I say to hell with those people that want to put limits on yeah, man. the human body. Exactly. Uh, and I've run with you know considerable amount of weight on. So yeah. uh, whatever. You, you, I might break myself at my current age, but who cares? Whatever. No, you'll be fine. You got to try it. You'll be fine. We'll be fine. But what I loved that you did in the um, I just remember this. You put this in the training program was the the four by four by twenty four. And then the four mm. by four by forty eight. Yes. Yeah. Didn't nod to uh, old Mister Goggins. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I've never done that before. Uh, that is something that I'm super excited for. That. Yeah. It's gonna be fun. The uh, the four by four by twenty four will probably won't be too bad. I mean, that's it's twenty four miles over twenty four hours, obviously. But um, and ever in to explain it, you run every four mi- you run four miles every four hours for twenty four hours. Yep. And then we're gonna do that over a period of forty eight hours. A few yeah. months, no, about a month and a half ish before, before yeah, the half so marathon. I strategically right? placed it, uh, kind of three weeks apart. So it's 
it's four by four by 24. And then like a few weeks later, I think three weeks in between, and then the four by four by 48. And then I have another three weeks and then it's the half marathon, um, half marathon ruck run, Mm -hmm. which I'm only going to do that with 35. I said I was working my weight up to 85. That's just on the, on the, on the weight building base. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to do more than like four miles with that on at like a, I don't know, 16, 17 minute mile pace, which is relatively slow, but, um, (laughs) with weight though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so four by four by 48, then, you know, three, three weeks and then the half marathon. And then I have like three or four, three or four more weeks, basically a month later is time-lapse race. So jacked up. And so we're going to, we're going to just put some heavy miles on. Um, I'll be running like three times a day on Thursday and then long runs on 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 Saturday. By the time I get to the half run, the half marathon run, I will have built up. Um, I'll I'll start at like running two miles with the thirty five pound ruck, mm-hmm. and then either wa- either running without weight or or walking the rest of the distance for that prescribed mm-hmm. for that day, and then I'll work up to a twelve mile ruck run, and then a, like a three mile regular run before I do the the half marathon run with the ruck, and then. Uh, then we'll get crazy with it. Then I have some like speed and, and kind of, uh, interval type long runs to, uh, emulate kind of the stop and go of the, mm. of the relay race. Yeah. Um, so I'll like, I have the perfect lap here. So it's like two mile lap. Yep. So I'll go do like six miles, stop at the house, eat some food, drink some water, hang out for a bit and then walk, you know, go for another six miles, do that like three times. And then, uh, as I taper down, I will taper the distance off into time lapse, but I'm still going to be doing that same thing. So right. like, you know, yeah. four miles, three times, Good four call. times with the intervals, like stopping and making food and drinking, like I, as if I'm, you know, doing that just to get like the GI ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to have any GI, GI glycemic index, uh, the gastrointestinal. Oh, wow. I was way off. <laughs> I was like, GI. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's it. That's part of it though. No. Yeah. I mean, uh, but no, just make sure like, you know, my stomach and, and whatnot is, is yeah. dialed in and, and then I can test out foods um, that are okay to like shove down between right. long runs. Um, and you can trust your stomach. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, and just to kind of get your body used to like the stop, go, stop, go and get in a rhythm myself. That'll be the first time I really need to do that too. You know, testing out hard foods that I can eat other mm-hmm. than a gel or something. Yeah. So that's something that ramen. That was, uh, yeah, you said you're going to hammer some ramen. Yeah. That, that was something I, I learned. Uh, I guess I didn't learn, but just like kind of, I guess learned. Um, Eric, uh, had a nutritionist, uh, as part of his prep for, mm. um, the, the tuna run and, uh, the, the nutritionist like created a plan, you know, while he was training, but also like for the run had like exact calories you needed to get down every time you stopped at every at every pit stop wow that went to shit after like i don't know the first like 12 hours like first like double marathon he'd run you know yeah he didn't want he wanted to eat like stuff that he could stomach and wasn't going to be bouncing around and that he wasn't going to throw up um so like a couple noodles like many couple noodles uh we went and Figured got him like a uh like a a Crunchwrap Supreme at one point. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, th- I think that'd be the opposite of what you need at that Yeah, point. we were actually near Campbell's June when we did that. We went to the Taco Bell that I used to go to okay. off base. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, you just got to eat whatever you, you can stomach that doesn't, like, cause any distress in your stomach and whatnot. Mm. Got to get the calories down, though. Yeah, and I'm excited to test that out. I mean, once my full marathon is over on December 10th, I'll get my legs a few days off and then going to jump right into that 
training schedule that you set in and adjust the a, a little more a few more running miles in there with a lighter weight just because I'm doing something slightly different than you but pretty much going to follow your your training yeah schedules th- it is i think the which which you know in your uh like marathon training like a lot of a lot of pro and i didn't put this together like blindly i mean obviously like as you mentioned like i used yeah. to be a personal trainer so like right. you know progressive overload is is pretty applicable overall um you just you know progressively increase the volume that you're putting on your body and the intensity um and you can kind of periodize a plan for really anything um and then you know you adjust as needed in when when you're in the midst of that plan and you actually know how your body's responding to it so yeah. um and I feel like I know my body pretty well. So it's going to be a, uh, a slaughter of a training plan for sure. Yeah. I'm going to be sore. The ice bath is going to get a lot of yeah. use. You know, I have a background in, in setting up training plans and, and, and all that. But, um, you know, I do a lot of research because I'm not a, a running coach by any means. So, like, do a lot of research and training plans and whatnot back when I was doing the marathon. And um, you, you get kind of a, a lay of the land. And a lot of, a lot of times you'll see training plans that don't necessarily even – specify like a, a mileage goal it's more just a time goal like go mm. run for two mm. hours mm. or two and a half hours on your long run day um and and i think rucking lends well to running because it's it's putting a lot of stress on the muscles because you're carrying so much weight but you're not the run the act of running where you're just pounding your joints putting a ton of force into your into your lower body um just from the the fact of running and how how impactful it is i i feel like rucking is going to be really a really good segue into into running training um especially because i mean you're you know you you ruck for two miles and it takes you 30 minutes like right. you could have run a lot longer right but i mean you're still using your body in an intense a way point. for that yeah. same amount of time so now you got me thinking maybe i do just you know instead of adding more miles changing up your plan a little bit i might just might just follow it yeah i mean like i like i said the other day like the, the first long long day i did where i rucked four miles and then ran four miles like i would much rather just run eight miles mm-hmm. than than do like walk four miles with a with a six pound pack on and then drop that weight and go for another four like that was that was brutal yeah it felt so much harder than just going to run <laughs> You'd yeah. think like, oh, drop my pack, sixty pounds lighter. Let me go run. But you, you know, you just, you just exhausted your body for four miles. Yeah. Um, so it, you are lighter and bouncy, but yeah, it doesn't feel Takes like it doesn't yeah. make it feel much easier. No. Well, and then and then soon, you know, I'm gonna be diving into the 24-hour race and you know the point systems that you know if we're looking to be competitive, which I really want to be. You know, yeah. I would love you to be. You know me. We don't. We don't. Uh, we don't do things to be mediocre. Nope. Otherwise, we just stay home. Damn right. So yeah, we're gonna look in that, and you know, point system. You get certain points for your team based off of the different laps you take, based off distance and elevation. And there's definitely an analytical way we can look at it and figure out what's best for our team. And you know, we'll come up with a, a rotation um, for everyone and and come up with a really good game plan. So. Yeah. I'm Something probably. else I'm going to bring for sure, okay. although I have to test to see if I can take it, What's take it, stomach it, is uh, some of the uh, venison sticks, the smoke sticks. Ooh. Super good. Smoke sticks? Yeah, so I, I grind the meat, mix it with whatever, you know, jalapenos and cheddar or just salt and pepper, and then kind of extrude it uh, into a casing that's okay. similar to like a Slim Jim casing, but oh. it's, it's a, lot, a lot thicker of a stick. And then you smoke them on the trigger and then, uh, oh. or whatever smoker, Hell and yeah. uh, for like an hour or two till it gets up to temp and then you know you're freeze uh freeze them or put them in the fridge and it's 
100% organic wow. protein that you harvested and I butchered myself from farm to table as, as about as much as you can that's, get by yourself. That's as table as it gets. Yeah. Sure. It's, they're super good. I wanted to have some prepared for you today, but I, I ate them all and took them to Maryland. <laughs> so sorry. Next, <laughs> next good, time we bro. see each other, we'll have plenty. All good. All good. Well, thanks for taking me hunting. Thanks for serving. Thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. And uh, we'll do it again. Sounds good, man. All right, man. Let's roll. Let's go eat some chili. Oh, yes. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along on Instagram at ontherun underscore podcast and X at ontherun underscore pod. And if you like to and you're on Strava, please follow me as well. That wraps up this episode, but we'll see you right back here next week. Now go out and do something hard.